The question is simple. For how many of you has anxiety or anxiousness been a part of Christianity? A part of your experience of Christianity, either personally or conceptually? So quite a few. My contention is that (laughs) that's your experience because that's what Christianity has done. It is a system that is explicitly anxiety-based, but that Jesus says otherwise. He says it's not supposed to be the case, which is why he so often gets in trouble. So we're going to look at a story today in which this plays out, in which Jesus gives a more expansive conception of his understanding of how he thinks religion and spirituality in the context of a community is meant to be lived, what the structuring principles are, and they are explicitly contrasted against an anxiety threat-based system. So our story starts out, this is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. It says, as Jesus was passing along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples questioned him, saying, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but rather that the works of God might be made manifest in him. Having said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay from the spittle, quite graphic, and anointed the man's eyes with the clay. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means when interpreted, sent forth. So the man went and washed and came back with sight. So Jesus performs this act of healing that is not just an act of healing. As with so many, it's specifically in the context of something bigger going on. This construct of sin, sinfulness, badness, and the God consequentiality of that. A system in which the adherence think there is something wrong with me or something wrong with those close to me and when that turns out to be the case God responds as God should punitively God's wrath is kind of out there waiting for stuff in us to respond to upon which to wreak havoc to produce harm and so when Jesus heals this man a part of what he's doing is being nice, but he's also declaring, no, that is not what's going on here. Jesus says it explicitly. Sin has nothing whatsoever to do with what's happened to this man. So the story then plays out a story of conflict because everybody takes issue with what Jesus seems to be doing. The man's parents the friends of the man's parents, and particularly the religious establishment. Because Jesus is pulling out this structuring principle of the whole thing. And so there's kind of an existential question on the part of religion, if that's gone, what's left? And there's also a threat to those administering the system, what do we do now? And so the conflict plays out and comes to a moment near the end of the chapter where it says this, the pastors said to the man, you were born utterly in sin and you lecture us and they expelled him. 
Jesus heard that they had expelled him and finding him said, do you have faith in the son of man? The man answered and said, and who is he, Lord, that I may have faith in him? Jesus said to him, it so happens that you have seen him and also that the one who is speaking to you is he. And the man said, Lord, I have faith. And he prostrated himself before Jesus. So it's lovely, right? Jesus meets the man at the place of expulsion. What an amazing concept the man is evicted from. It's a form of death. It's a, form of, it's a social dying. He's expelled from the community. Jesus hears and goes and meets him there. And so he becomes one of these heroic solo figures. We've encountered them before, the woman who is caught in the act of adultery by men of the religious establishment, dragged before Jesus, and Jesus produces this occurrence in which she is the last one standing heroically. We encountered a few weeks ago Levi, the tax collector, vilified by the people, castigated by society, cast out alone in his booth while the religious, the best and brightest of religion, party in a house over here. And Jesus comes to him and says, I want you. And so with this man, this man who was blind, who stands up for Jesus, religion tries to impose the system of sin, sinfulness, badness, and the God consequentiality of it all on this man, and he says no. Religion tries to call Jesus a sinner, and this man says no. And he is the one who sees Jesus. So the nice thing about this story is that it has an epilogue. And most of the others were just kind of left there standing to wonder, wow, that was amazing, I wonder what it all meant. And in this one, Jesus tells us. So I'm going to read the story of how Jesus is describing what's going on, what it means in the religious community of Jesus to belong, to not belong, who the various characters and actors are. And I want you just to pay attention, first of all, to what it would feel like, just what it would feel like, the difference between the construct that this man had inhabited and what Jesus is describing as his way of doing things. And keep in mind that this is still with everybody assembled. The man is there. Those who resent what's going on are there. And then kind of all the rest of us confused and trying to make sense of what Jesus is saying. So this is from John chapter 10. Then Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you that anyone who does not enter the sheepfold through the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a rogue. (laughs) It is the shepherd of the flock who goes in by the gate. It is to him that the gatekeeper opens the gate. And it is his voice that the sheep recognize. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out of the fold. And when he has brought all his own flock outside, he goes in front of them himself. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Indeed, they will run away from him, for they do not recognize strange voices. Jesus gave them this metaphor, but they did not grasp the point of what he was saying to them. (laughs) So Jesus said to them once more, in a little more detail, Very truly, I tell you that I myself am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have gone before me are thieves and rogues, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If one goes in through me, they will be safe and sound. They can come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes with the sole purpose of stealing and killing and destroying, but I came to bring the sheep life, life in great abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd will give his life for the sake of his sheep, but the hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep will see the wolf coming, desert the sheep, and run away, and the wolf will seize the sheep and scatter them. The hired hand runs away because he is only a hired hand and has no interest in the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know those that are mine, and my sheep know me, just as God knows me, and I know God. And I lay down my life for the sake of the sheep. <clears throat> Once again, those listening were in two minds about Jesus because of these words, many of them remarking, the devil's in him and he's deranged. <laughs> Why do you listen to him? But others were saying, this is not the sort of thing a devil-possessed man would say. Can a devil make a blind man see? So there's our story. So as I see it, there are three roles. There are the sheep, there are the rogues and villains, and there's the shepherd. So we'll start with the sheep. The sheep, pretty straightforwardly, is us, right? Most of us listening, kind of confused, scratching our heads. The central representative of the sheep, of course, is the man who was blind but can now see. So a couple of challenges in entering into this role. First of all, you have to say, yeah, I'm good with being called a sheep, right? A little bit of narcissism gets stirred up there. I don't really think very highly of sheep. They seem kind of clueless, bumbling, stumbling around, not very self-directed. Like, <laughs> they're not these awesome autonomous beings who are going to do amazing works of creativity and stand out in the context of human society, right? So I have to say, I'm okay with that. But once I do, it's actually not that far from reality for me. <laughs> I know this is true because I, and my guess is most of you, I have surrounded myself with shepherding type people. I meet, for example, with a spiritual director once a month who helps me find my way into good things spiritually, divert me from bad stuff, from things that aren't healthy or helpful. I see a counselor. I have friends and others who are close to me. I will say primarily my wife. She is someone who helps me to discern what's good from what's not, life-giving from not life-giving, but all sorts of other people too in realms of finances, of health and well-being, of occupational pursuits. We are surrounded by people who we look to for help, and many of us in this room have chosen to pursue expertise in something where we become a shepherd of sorts to others. We are all implicitly saying we're not very good at this on our own. We function in a sheep-like way as much as we don't want to admit it. 
We need help finding our way. Where's safe, where's not safe? Where's their good pastor, where's their not good pastor? Right? And even in the other stories of sheep, this kind of thing comes into play. So a second component of the sheep metaphor for you and me that's actually a little bit deeper and more to the point of what Jesus is saying is that of culpability. Right, so on the one hand, a sheep follows around the shepherd and goes out and comes back when the shepherd instructs the sheep to do that. But the other part about being a sheep, that's a direct contrast to the thing that Jesus is calling the people out of, is that the sheep are not responsible for their plight. The sheep are not moral agents. There is nothing in a sheep of goodness or badness that qualifies them for being cared for by the shepherd or puts that status at risk. Right, The man has just left, the man who can see has just left a system whereby it was either him or his parents who sinned that caused him to experience this plight. And this is something everybody would have shared, this understanding. Yeah, it's what you do, it's what's in you. There is something fundamentally flawed in you, or there could be at any instant that will draw to you like a magnet the wrath of God. And so when Jesus flips it and says, actually, I think of you all as sheep, a part of what he's saying is, let's just acknowledge you all need help. But I'm also saying there's nothing in you that is going to get you in trouble in an existential God threat kind of way. And that conception to most of the people there and to most of us is baffling, is different, is not what we expect. And you can tell us again, I mentioned other sheep stories. So Jesus uses a lot of them. Sheep come into play pretty often. One of the classic ones is there's a shepherd taking care of 100 sheep on a hill. One of the sheep wanders away. The shepherd has to drop everything to go get that one, leave the 99 behind. My first thought is, what a bad sheep. Right? What's wrong with that sheep? It's got some attentional difficulties. It's spacey. It's not, you know, it's just wandering. It's a little lost. Muddle-headed or worse, it's an uppity sheep. It chafes at the rules and constraints. My first thought is to blame the one sheep. There's a problem with the sheep. I can guarantee you that everybody listening to the story in this day would have said, what's wrong with the shepherd? They'd have all said, that's what sheep do. Sheep wander. The shepherd has to take care of the sheep. The shepherd has to be paying attention so that when a sheep starts to wander, it doesn't get so far away. Everybody would have known that the shepherd is in trouble if a sheep wanders. They would not have blamed the sheep. And so Jesus is producing this system like, it just sounds lovely. This is a good shepherd, right? It's not one who lets them wander. And so the sheep in this system, it's like the opposite of anxiousness. It's peaceful. You go out when it's time to go out. You come back when it's time to come back. You find good pasture. We know this from Psalm 23. The shepherd makes you lie down in green grass. Drink from still water. Restore your soul. 
That's the life of the sheep. So then there are the villains, right? All is not lovely. But it's clear in the conception of Jesus that threat to this peacefulness, to this non-anxious place, comes from outside. And it's not a universal threat. It's not like all badness. Again, it's very specific to the context. There are those who are upset with this system, this way of doing a God community. There There are those who are upset with that, who rail against it. And you can understand it to a certain degree. It would be destabilizing. If God-based threat is the foundation of religion, and I would say it is the foundation of most of Christianity, nobody escapes, no denomination or sect. Catholicism, Protestantism, Lutheranism, Methodism, Evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, all have at the foundation God threat that produces anxiety, the antidote to which is something that Jesus does that brings relief, right? So the relief feels good, and it produces gratitude, but the whole thing is built up from that, is built up from God threat, and an experience of anxiety and a relief from anxiety. If that's gone, (laughs) if that turns out to be a misconception, to be not the case, what's left, right? It's both destabilizing and it's really threatening to those who have inhabited a role of power or of authority, not just because it's a loss of purpose, but because anxiety is a really powerful way to control human behavior, right? It is one of the most unpleasant things to experience. I've experienced it personally. I'm also a psychiatrist, so I interact with people experiencing anxiety. It is one of the things that we are most driven to escape from in all sorts of ways. And all human systems know this, including religious systems. And so we use anxiety to control behavior, to produce desired responses from people. And so if this is gone, it's no wonder that the system itself (laughs) feels anxious. The real existential threat in this whole story is not to people because of their badness, but is to the religious system based on existential God threat. If that is gone, what's left? And so what Jesus is saying is there are those who will rail against this way of doing things who will, they won't get in by me, but they will try to disturb it, upset it, take back those who've gone over to the dark side. That is where threat, that is where trouble, that is where intrusion comes from for those trying to mess with the system. Okay, So then the last role (laughs) is that taken by Jesus. So the first thing I want to say is there are a number of statements in this story in the way that Jesus casts things that are used by those that would seek to make claims of exclusivity for Christianity. There's one gate, there's one flock, I'm the good shepherd. I just want to say, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing, right? Jesus, again, is explicitly comparing himself with what existed immediately prior to this. He's not saying no to Zoroastrianism, right? 
that wouldn't have been in play in this little courtyard with the specific people assembled. But the other thing that's interesting is the centrality that Jesus takes. You know, I imagine God is putting on a play and God is the casting director. He has the script. And God is, God is saying, I am going to be the gatekeeper. That's a role for me, but let's see who wants to take the other roles. And so God says, we're going to make the gate, we're going to humanize the gate. The gate is going to actually be a person. I need somebody who's willing to play the gate. And Jesus raises his hands. Ooh, me. I'll be the gate. I'd be a great gate. I'm happy playing the gate. And so God says, okay, you can be the gate. But the real role, the important role, is the good shepherd. I need somebody who's going to be a good shepherd, who knows how to be a shepherd. Central role, and Jesus raises his other hand. Ooh, me. And I'm watching, thinking, "Uh, Jesus, you know. And God says, fine. And I'm a little miffed, because obviously Jesus is God's favorite. (laughs) He doesn't just get all the good roles, he gets all the roles. (laughs) And it's interesting, right? Because you think, what is Jesus doing? So here's my thought. Rather than Jesus just needing to be the center of attention, I think he is considering these roles very preciously. Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm going to always be the gate. It's going to be me. Because what Jesus knows is that Now, no matter how well-minded I am, the instant I take over the system from these people I'm deriding and make myself the gatekeeper, I'm going to be no different. I might let some people in that those folks weren't, but there's going to come a moment where I'm going to say no to somebody who Jesus would let in. There's There's going to come a moment where I'm going to not be a good shepherd to those who Jesus would shepherd well. And so I just think Jesus, he's doing this thing that's just crazy organizationally. Because in a human system, social organization, it has to be you and me who are administrating it, right? It can't be Jesus, because where's Jesus? He's not in the room. He's not a part of it. But Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to present you an organizational conundrum because I am not ceding to anybody this role. This is mine. I do this. You come in through me, you go out through me because I am good. Because I am unrelentingly generous and kind. And so what... The only requirement that it puts on you and me as sheep, we don't have to behave well, we don't have to be morally and ethically pure. The only thing we need to be able to do is have some sense within ourselves of hearing the voice of Jesus, of having an experience of Jesus. And again, Jesus doesn't put qualifications on this. It is the strangest way to produce a group where nobody in the group is responsible for you getting in or going out. Right? You're in the group based on kind of the same experience. We had this, we welcomed members last week, two weeks, last week. <laughs> and I feel like we've tried to operationalize this principle in the way that we do membership. 
It's really you who choose. If you come here and you detect a stirring, yeah, this place stirs me, this feels right to me, I detect what I am calling the voice of Jesus speaking to me. You can determine how that comes to you, what that feels like, how you sense it, how you detect it. If that's the case for you in this place, you can be a member. (laughs) And we have some ideas about what we'd like you to do as a member. But the basic idea of getting in is not passing a test, is not saying yes to some set of assumptions or criteria, is not taking any demographic boxes. It's just, wow, this place feels right to me for who I am, for what I'm looking for. This place feels like it will produce goodness in me. I trust what's going on here as being helpful to me. You know, I feel like that's kind of what Jesus is after. That the task really is to continue to attempt to perceive Jesus, what the voice of Jesus sounds like to you. The voice of welcome, the voice of inclusion. Jesus welcome you into a non-anxious God space. And the wondering is, <laughs> what do we build up from that? Right? If threat, worry, None of that, if that is not a part of the structuring, what is? And what do we build up from that together? So I want to take a moment as we come to a close. The band can come forward uh, to lead us into the rest of the service. Just a moment to settle into that, to maybe perceive what it is Jesus is trying to produce, Just set, like, if you have any vestige in you of God anxiety, of that kind of existential threat, there is something wrong with me that puts my standing at risk. Or there is the possibility that could even occur. If that is in you and you'd like to let that go, Jesus would take that and send it off. If you just want to know, be more aware of, what does it mean for you to hear the voice of Jesus? What is that like for you? I think Jesus would be here to help you know that. So Jesus, we give you this moment. Speak to us. Welcome us into the kind of non-anxious, non-threat space where you and no one else are there to welcome us in, to care for us. Jesus, to the degree that we're ready, let us trust you as a good shepherd. Let us hear your voice. Let us settle in to the goodness that you offer. Amen.